Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you this night, Lord, as we join together as a family. Lord, those who um, call you God. Lord, as you call us your children, we simply seeing or, or seek, Lord, to worship you, to glorify your name, and to glorify your word, and to further your kingdom. So, Lord, bless us with your word, and bless us, Lord, as you minister to us. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, they, if, if, if you read any kind of book about preaching or doing a message and stuff like that, a lot of them say, you know, always start off your message with a story. And, and include yourself in it because it grabs everybody's attention and it keeps them interested through the rest of the message so they don't fall asleep on you. I'm not kidding. And so, <laughs> and so tonight, um, I want to do that because it, it, it really fits in well with tonight's message. We're going to be doing all of Revelation chapter 9. And guys, the, the main thing I want you to grasp out of this is the demonic world is real. It is all around us. There is an unseen, unheard war going on right around us. Spiritual warfare. The Bible says that the angels are God's ministering angels. And, you know, we have angels around us battling, not for our souls, but battling, you know, as Christians, battling on our behalf for temptations, for things that can cause us to stumble and fall and stray and wander off that narrow path. And, you know, I've often thought about Elisha when his servant comes to him and says, Elisha, the city of Dothan is totally surrounded and we're all going to die. And Elisha says, oh, Lord, open his spiritual eyes so that he may see. And the Lord does that. And his servant looks out and behind the surrounding army of, I believe it was the Assyrians, is hundreds of thousands of warring angels. And you know, I've often thought, that would be so cool to be able to see the spiritual realm. But then I thought, probably not, because it would scare the heck out of me to be able to see what's going on around me. And so, so guys, I just want you to understand that, that the demonic realm and, and, and demons, they're, they're real. And they are uh, attacking us. Not to possess us. They can't do that. What they want to do is wound us. Put us on the sidelines. It's like war. If you have a soldier that's wounded, he's out of the fight. That's what they want to do. Take us out of the fight. Take us out of winning souls. Take us out of ministering to others. Take us out of loving others. That's what they want to do. 
And so, you know, the story I just want to share real quick is I've seen demon-possessed people in Africa. I've been involved in the casting out of demons, not exorcisms, okay? Don't get confused. None of that is necessary. And I just want to share one story. Um, I was invited to speak at a church about 45, 50 miles away from our, our compound in Nimue. And it was one of the guys I taught, taught in chaplain school. And he had planted a church in this little village called Pagari. And Mayor Nasta Chapel down in near San Diego, Ray Bentley's church, they had built him this new church. It had new mud bricks and new straw because that's what churches were <laughs> and are. But we were in the middle of worship and an old woman came walking in a side door. And she was very old. And as we were worshiping, she began to to howl and bark and and make all kinds of animal noises. And 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 they were very accurate animal noises. It it was it was it was frightening. But there was myself and Tobias, whose church it was, and we had uh, three other chaplain trainees with us. And I looked over at Tobias, and he looked at me, and I said, "I said, Tobias, she's demon possessed." He shook his head, yeah. So he continued to worship, and she continued to do that. Worship was over. Without even talking amongst us, we all directly headed over to her. And like I said, she was, we later found out she was 94 years old. And other than the animal noises, I can't, it's, I don't know, I don't know what I saw. (laughs) She was moving in a rotating way, but her feet were kind of still straight. And it was almost like she was a little jackhammer going going like that. It was really strange. And I'm still not sure what I saw until this, you know, to this day. But anyways, we went over. We laid hands on her. And we started praying. And we started, you know, I was praying in English. Uh, Tobias was praying in Arabic. And the other three chaplains were praying in, I think, um, Mahdi, Acholi, and Nuer. And so we were hitting her with five languages. <laughs> I'm sure the demon understood all of them. I know he understood the word Jesus. But anyways, um, as we prayed for her, um, we kind of forced her down to the ground on her knees. And that was a hard thing to do. And there was five of us. And she would try to stand up, and and it was a struggle for us to keep her down on her knees. But um, make a long story short, um, the demon came out of her. We prayed with her to accept Christ as her Savior. And she stayed the rest of the service and was worshiping and, and singing at the end. And it was just an amazing, marvelous thing to be a part of. But after the service was over, 
a young woman came up to me and said, that's my mom. And she's been like that for as long as I can remember. And my dad is a Christian. And, you know, in Africa, to be a witch doctor, you have to be... Now, I know this doesn't make sense. You have to be a witch doctor. You have to be demon-possessed so that you can protect everybody from demons. Makes sense to me. Um, And there's a lot of money. It's a very lucrative business. But her father always refused. The village would try to talk him, constantly try to talk him into letting her be the village witch doctor. And she told us that her mother was 94 years old. So let me ask you guys this question. If that happened here, how would you guys react? I'm not looking for an answer. I just want you to think about that for a second. How would you guys react? Well, let me tell you how the church reacts there. There were probably about 50, 60 people in the church. And worship was over. We went to her. We started praying for her. And the church began to burst out in spontaneous worship and singing and praying. They didn't miss a beat. They didn't miss a step because they knew what was going on. They had seen it before. And they knew this woman. And so I just want you to think about that. How, how would you guys react? Run? Would everybody... <laughs> I mean, I could just see dust <laughs> going out the door. Or would we stand as a body and pray and worship and, and, and pray for this woman like the body did there? And so, you know, the point is, guys, is that as we get into Revelation 9 today, we're going to see the or tonight, we're going to see the beginning of the demonic judgments. So far, it has been judgments against nature, God's natural creation. And tonight, we're going to see demonic judgments begin against man. And so I want you to keep in mind that demons are real, And as we get into this, I'm going to talk a little bit about allegories and symbols, symbolism. I want you to remember that the book of Revelation is literal. It is not symbols. It is not allegories. And I'll talk a little bit about that later. So let's go back. We're going to be in uh, Revelation 9. We're going to... Uh, look at verses 1 through 21, the entire chapter. And so let's look back at chapter 8. And again, God judged His creation of plants, trees, fresh water, the sea, the sun, the moon, and the stars. But what's important to remember is that God, sometimes in His judgments, He uses natural things, such as we saw the mountain of fire fall into the sea. Probably an asteroid, most likely. But with that natural judgment, we also see a supernatural judgment that goes along with it, which is a third of the sea turned to blood. 
Now, I've seen the allegories. It was a red algae bloom. It was this. It was that. People try to explain away. And these are commentators. These are men who, who are Christian men, I believe. But that's not for me to decide. But they try to explain away these miraculous works of God by saying it was, it was an algae bloom, a red algae bloom. Well, those happen, but not, not a third of the sea. And so God sometimes uses supernatural along with the natural. And we also saw that a third of the sea life was killed. We might think all of this is horrible, but we need to remember that God is showing His grace. He's giving man a chance to repent through these judgments. And if you notice, they, they become... They start out as, like here, nature. Man doesn't repent. Judgments against man. Man still doesn't repent. And so God is using these, these steps to cause repentance. And it's His grace. We can look at this as God is mean. Oh man, what a horrible God He is. But He's not. He's not willing to. Or he is, he's willing that all men be saved. And he does, you know, he got to do what he got to do. Amen? And so God is showing his grace. And as we look back at Revelation chapter 8, before we begin with 9, Revelation 8.13 says, And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Guys, as we witness to people, we always need to remember that there are going to be people who will not see and who will not hear. And that doesn't mean we don't continue to witness to them. But there are people who are like that. And we see that here. Think about it. Nature has just been judged. And now God is preparing to judge man, to begin that judgment of man. And He warns warns them. I've heard many times, I've heard... If God would just show me a miracle, I'd believe. If He would appear before me, I would believe. Here you got an angel flying around the earth telling people, whoa, whoa, whoa. And we're going to see they still do not repent. God provides those miracles. He provides those miracles in our our lives every day. He's provided that miracle in your life of being born again. Think about your testimony. Think about how you changed. That's a miracle. Think about the relationships that have been restored, the marriages that have been restored. All miracles. And so we do have those miracles. And because of this angel 
woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And again, Pastor Dave touched on this three times. In John's time, if you really wanted to make a point that you were serious, you said it three times. Think about how many times Jesus said, truly, 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 I tell you this. Truly, truly, truly. I don't know how many times he said that. I should have looked it up so I could impress you guys. But um, it's the same thing. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And so these are also known as the woe judgments. Revelation 9, verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, I talked about allegories and symbolisms, and you know, as I was reading some commentators and and, and stuff, um, some of them were relatively new. Man, I saw some weird things that people had said about this, about who this fallen star was. One commentator said it was a vision of Hitler. One said it was a vision of the coming... Um, I think they call him the Mahdi, the, the, the Muslim Messiah, who's going to return with Jesus, by the way, according to Islam. And so that was another allegory, that this fallen star was, was, was the Mahdi, the coming Mahdi. And so, you know, this, this is kind of a minor debate amongst commentaries, but again, we take it literally. And we compare Scripture with Scripture. And so let's look at this verse. The word fallen in the original language can be understood, and this is important, to be present or past tense. And I believe it indicates past tense, and I'll tell you why. If we assign the past tense to the word fallen here, we could say, I saw a star that had fallen which makes more sense, being that in the original language, this is past tense. So we could say, I saw a star that had fallen. And so the star was not really in the act of falling, but had fallen already. And guys, that matches with Scripture. Isaiah 14.12 says, and this is describing when Satan... Lucifer rebelled and said, I will be like God. And he was given the boot. Isaiah 14.12 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. And so I believe that this is inspired by the Holy Spirit that, that John is, is, is writing in the past tense about Lucifer or Satan falling from heaven at this time. So let's continue with verses 2 through 5. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. 
Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. So let's look at a few things in in these verses. First, let's look at the bottomless pit. In Greek, this is abusos, or the abyss. And, And this abusos, the abyss, was a place that the demons greatly feared. Greatly feared. And we see that in Luke chapter 8. And we should all be familiar with the, the account of Jesus sailing to the country of the Gadarenes. And he, and he arrives there and, and he gets off the boat and he meets a severely demon-possessed man. And he begins to talk to the demon. And he, and he says, what is your name? And the demon says, we are legion. And Jesus is asked to cast them into a herd of swine. And here's the reason that they cast that they wanted to be cast into those those uh, pigs. Luke chapter eight verses thirty and thirty one says Jesus asked him saying, "What is your name?" And he said, "Legion, because many demons had entered him, and they begged him, meaning Jesus." that he would not command them to go out into the abyss or the abusos. And so this is a place that the demons very, very, very much feared. And so as we go on, we see that from the abyss comes forth a great smoke and, and it blocks the sun and it darkens the air. But then it gets worse. Out of that smoke comes a great swarm of locusts. And obviously, as we're going to see later on by their description, these are supernatural locusts. And again, I've seen all kinds of allegories about this, that John was seeing this, and he didn't know how to describe that. And so he called them locusts. Guys, they're locusts. And they're weird, as we're going to see. And they're scary. But if you think about it, this swarm is going to cover the entire earth. God's judging the earth. A swarm of locusts around the entire planet? Now, that, that's a swarm. That's big. And they're going to have one goal, to torment man. And so you think about it. Add the darkness from the smoke and then a swarm of locusts this big the darkness must have been, I cannot see the hand in front of my face. It, it had to be. Because these locusts, they darken the sky. In Africa, they're subject to locust plagues. And when, when a locust plague comes, there are literally billions of locusts. Not millions. Billions, and they come suddenly, 
And in their path, they strip everything bare. The ground, the crops, all the plants, the trees. And, 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 and when they move on, there is nothing. No leaves on a tree. I mean nothing. And so, a country in Africa, or these locust um, plagues happen in other places, they can literally cause a famine overnight by destroying everything that people eat. And in verse 3, we see that they were given the power of scorpions. Now, don't think about the scorpions we have up here. They're not those. Again, the, the, the power of, of the scorpions that they have is supernatural and it's demonic in, in, in origin. And their sting is going to be beyond agonizing. Verse 4 says they were commanded not to harm the grass or any green thing or any tree. And, and that's a locus, locus natural inclination. Is That's what they eat. But God only allowed them to torment those who were not sealed by God with the mark of God on their forehead. And, and this makes sense that God is protecting the remaining vegetation. Remember, a third of it's already been wiped out. And so there's already probably a, short of, a shortage of food. And so God commands them not to touch the greenery. Stay off the lawn is what he's telling them. And again, God is showing his grace by providing them a chance to repent. You know what he's saying is, I'm going to torment. I'm going to let these guys torment you for a while, but I'm not going to starve you to death. There's still going to be greenery. And it's interesting, guys, in verse 5, you know, we see that the locusts were not given the authority to kill man. Remember that. If there's any doubt that God is not controlling your life, and I confess to you that sometimes I feel that way. And sometimes, guys, as pastors... We can even say, God, are you not in control? And, and I know that you guys can go there too, and it's hard. But this is one thing that we can remember is that God has authority over the demonic world. He is controlling these, these demonic uh, bugs, these creatures. He can give them the authority to kill or not to kill. And they have to obey Him. They're compelled to obey Him. They have no choice. And also in verse 5 it says, their, their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. And, you know, I'm reminded of a, a missionary friend in, uh, in Southeast Asia. And she told me about some scorpions that they have over there. And they're big. And they're black as night. And they are highly aggressive. And if one stings you, you will be in extreme agony 
for at least 24 hours. And she has told me that she has literally heard men and women and sometimes children, but mostly men and women, screaming that they just want to die because of the agony. And so this fits. This fits with what these locusts can do with the torment of uh, a scorpion sting. And they're given that authority for a period of five months. Now, we're not told if, if you get stung once, you're going to suffer for that whole five months with that agony, or are you going to get stung once and suffer for 24 hours and then, and then run and hide and, and try to outrun the, the, the bugs so that they can't sting you again and you go through another 24-hour period of agony? We don't know. But we do know that man will be tormented for five months. And it's interesting because when there's a locust plague, five months is roughly the cycle of, of that plague, a natural locust plague. And so that fits, that five-month period fits. Now in verse 6 it says, In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. I've had people ask me, (laughs) Whoa, what if they take a shotgun and put it in their mouth and they blow the back of their head off? What if they jump off a cliff? What if they have somebody cut their head off? How are they going to live walking around without a head? And you know, it's not that complicated, guys. If God has complete authority over the demons, don't you think He has complete authority over you to prevent you from committing suicide? And so it's, it's, it's not hard. Men will flee. They will cry out for death. And there's nothing that they can do about it. Let's continue with verses 7 through 11. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. And here's that supernatural description. They had hair like women's hair. And their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions and and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men for five months. And they had a king over them as the, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon. But in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. So, here we got that detailed description of the supernatural locusts. And so you look at this and you know the, these locusts are virtually a flying armored demonic army. And guys, this description is not symbolic. It's not allegorical. This is what they look like. And so, you know, I wouldn't even need to be stung to want to die. All I would have to do is look one in the face. And I would want to die just from the terror 
of seeing something like that. And verse 11 says that, that the king of them was Abaddon, or in Greek, the name Apollyon. So the word Abaddon, Abaddon literally means destruction, and Apollyon literally means destroyer. And, and again, there's been many symbols and allegories about who this is. It's, it's, one, of, it's one of Satan's you know, generals or, or something like this. And no, this is, this is Satan. He was given the key to the bottomless pit. God's not going to give that key to a senior prince or something. This is the fallen star, remember? This is the fallen Lucifer. He was given the key to the bottomless pit. And so we can be assured through Scripture that this really is Satan himself. Verses 12 through 15. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. So who are these four angels? They're not, you know, they're not God's wonderful ministering angels because we see in this verse that they are, that they're bound and that they need to be released. They weren't just waiting there, you know, passing time, smoking cigarettes, you know. Oh man, I wish that judgment would hurry up. I got places to go. These were fallen angels who had been chained. Jude chapter 1 verse 6, and this is the King James Version, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting change, chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. And so these angels are in chains. Yes, they're awaiting judgment, but they're also bound in chains waiting to be used by God at this very day, moment, hour, minute to execute God's judgment. And we know this because of that one word, unto the judgment of the great day. The word unto in the original language means with a view towards judgment. And so they're waiting there with a view towards judgment to execute God's judgment. Move on to verses 16 through 19. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. 
And so now we're looking at two-thirds of mankind that has been killed so far. And they still will not repent. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do, and with them they do harm. I hate to... I hate to beat this dead horse of allegories and symbolism, but guys, when you start reading things that some people have written about this stuff, it's laughable. And one of the things that, that I've read and I've had people tell me is that, oh, this is, this is a vision of John, and, and this is the 200 million man Chinese army. And, and the horses, they're, they're not horses. They're tanks. And John just didn't know what he was seeing because he didn't know what they were. And tanks have fire that come out of, 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 their, of their gun, and they have lots of smoke. And you could say that out of the, out of the gun was fire and brimstone. And, and people just try to make this so complicated when it's not. The book of Revelation is easy to understand when you take it literally. <clears throat> and so I don't believe Scripture bears out that this is the 200 million man Chinese army. And, you know, God would not give John a vision that he couldn't comprehend. God would not give John a vision of some hundreds of thousands of Chinese mechanized divisions. <laughs> God's not a confusing God. And we can see that because John, remember this is, what, what John is writing is inspired by the Holy Spirit. These are not John's words. These are God's words. And so when you look at that word, horses, horses in the Greek it's hepakos meaning equestrian, horsemen, and cavalry. And then it gets even simpler. The root word for hepakos is hepos, which means, wait for it, horse. <laughs> and so if God says horse, horses, horsemen, I believe God means Horses, horsemen, or horse. And, and there's no other reason to believe otherwise. Inspired by the words of the Holy Spirit. And that's what God is inspiring John to write. And this is what John is seeing. Man continues to explain away or try to explain away the supernatural. Oh, horses couldn't look like that. You know, horses don't have smoke and fire and, and tails that, that sting and, and, and all this stuff. But I think God can do that. And there's no reason to try to explain away what God says. And anyways, it says that all mankind is, is, is being judged. It doesn't say all mankind except for the Chinese army. Oh, they're exempt. Chinese army has an exemption from, from this judgment because I'm using them 
to, to judge the, the rest of the earth with their tanks. And Jesus tells us that the tribulation judgments will be supernatural. Matthew 24, verses 21 through 22. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. I believe Jesus is talking about this. These judgments. Matthew twenty four twenty nine. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And so Jesus tells us that, that the judgments, the coming judgments are going to be supernatural. Let's finish with verses 20 and 21. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. There are still millions of people on this earth that worship demons and lifeless idols. And you know what, guys? There's some on this mountain. Back in the early 90s, I assisted the sheriff's department up here on a, on a child sexual abuse investigation. And when I was interviewing the... Um, she was five. She began to tell me things about being taken out to the forest and there was this this statue that was low to the ground and it had a hole in it and people in animal costumes were dancing around it and throwing money into this this stone pillar and and she saw all of this stuff and it was pure idol worship and and pure I don't even know what else but she witnessed this, and, and I believe it's still going on today up here, guys. And so, yes, we have people that worship demons and, and lifeless idols. And as far as verse 21 goes, you know, today we have a global network of murder. ISIS, abortion, sorcery. We'll get to that one. We'll get to that next. And sexual immorality. And guys, there are enough, there are not enough hours in the day to cover that one. The sexual immorality of the world. But we all know where America is with sexual immorality, and we all know how God views our nation. So, what about this word sorcery? sorcery? The word used here in the original language is pharmakia, from which we get our word pharmacy. And so, you know, many believe that this is a reference to drug use, and it is, definitely. But it goes deeper than that. Pharmakia literally means the use or the administering of drugs, poisoning, sorcery, magical arts, often found in connection with idolatry and fostered by it. The deceptions and 
seductions, seductions of idolatry. And so that is the literal definition of pharmakia, and so it goes way beyond drugs. And so what about number three and four here that aren't referencing drugs? Guys, there is a, I'd like to say there's a huge revival for Christ going on in the world, but, but not yet. But there is a huge revival going on in this world for sorcery and, and these, you know, whatever you want to call them, the black arts. And, and it really is a, a demonic revival. Look at the TV. We have so many ghost shows and contact your dead uncle or dead neighbor shows, casting spells, which is a Waverly Place on Disney Channel. That is desensitizing kids to spells and magic. Vampires and werewolves. I don't want anybody to be mad at me, but, you know, Twilight. What a love story that is. The New Age Movement. Crystals, spirit guides, contacting the spirit world. And, let us not forget, creation worship. It's okay to kill millions of babies, but don't cut down any of those trees for any purpose at all. And so, is there sorcery and idolatry in America? Yes, there is. And you know, guys, I just want to end with this one thing real quick. One of, one of the responsibilities we have as pastors is to equip and warn the body. And so, I... I spend time looking at trends, especially kids. And right now, I want you to raise your hand if you've heard of this. Right now, going around on Facebook, mostly on teenager stuff, is something called the Charlie Challenge. Who's heard of it? Good. Guys, this is an opening for kids to the demonic world. What they do is they take a piece of paper... Four squares. The square they write yes, no, yes, no. They take two pencils and they balance them like this. And supposedly they call upon this, the, the, the spirit of Charlie, the demon Charlie. And they ask it questions. Charlie, are you here? And these videos, I don't know how they do it. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, you know, trickery or somehow, but that's not the point the pencil will move and say yes or no. Of course, it wouldn't move if he's going to say, no, I'm not here. Well, anyways. But guys, my point is, is that if you hear your kids talking about this and using the words Charlie Challenge, beware, because when you mess with the demon world, which is what that is, it's kind of like Forrest Gump. You know, you never know what you're going to get. Amen? So be warned, guys. Just want to keep you equipped. And, and most of all, guys, I want to protect your kids. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Lord. and Lord, we thank You that it is so plain and easy to understand. And Lord, I pray that You would bless us, Lord, and protect us. Lord, keep us safe 
from this demonic world. Lord, cover us and hedge us round with Your warring angels, Lord. And we thank You, Lord, that we have You fighting for us. In Jesus, we love You and we lift You up and praise You. It's in Your name we pray. Amen.